Welcome back, everybody, once again, to your favouritest part of the week as you listen to The Brink as we come to you today for episode 68 of the rebooted, reformatted podcast. Uh, it is March the 12th, 2018, for those playing at home. Uh, you might be listening to this on a later date, but that is the day that we're at least putting this out for you today. Another big show coming your way today. More of a flashback episode uh, with only one sort of regular segment, but that's still going to make it a fun time for you to be able to listen to this week as obviously we're coming to you from the beautiful state of Queensland this week once again. And just a quick little look on the uh, listenership basis uh, during the week, and it's 100% uh, Australian listener this week. Uh, Incredible to think that generally we're spread right across the world, but I'm just looking here at uh, where we've had our listeners from, uh, 100% Australia. I'm looking at here, we've had Adelaide listeners, Bell Reeve listeners back, uh, of course, in our home city in Hobart, Eden's Landing, uh, which is the majority of our listenership base actually coming from Eden's Landing in Queensland. So um, clearly, I think we're uh, moving our way up there. Um, it's actually not that far away from where I'm recording this from, so you never know how these get stretched out. But uh, hello to everybody listening, and as always, we do appreciate anybody who wants to message us in during the week and say, hey, what's going on? This is where I'm from, this is why I'm listening, and uh, everything else in between. And I'm sure that today, you're going to be enjoying the show as well as we bring you all the regular and fun content that you know and love. Another week where we seemingly find the time to talk about everybody's favourite country that isn't Australia or the other 200 countries in the world, New Zealand. It is Nick Chester. Hello, Nick. Welcome back to another episode of The Brink. Yeah, I thought you were going to put me, well, put New Zealand number two there for a minute. It was a bit of a surprise. I'm not drunk. Um, I mean, maybe one time. Uh, I mean, there's really not a lot happening. You've got a cyclone coming to New Zealand this week again. Uh, you just can't get enough oh. of these, can you? Well, the latest news is it's not even a cyclone anymore. It's been downgraded to like a tropical storm or something. So it's not even that exciting. It was, yeah, but we seem to be getting these cyclones through every five minutes at the moment. So this is uh, tropical cyc- or cyclone HOLA, H-O-L-A. <laughs> uh, <That's>... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's like yeah. a hello, isn't it? Like cyclone HOLA, like hello, yeah, New Zealand. Much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holler if you hear me. And uh, yeah, it's um, basically it started in Vanuatu and it, it looks like it's basically going to clip the kind of east coast of the country on its way past. But um, yeah, it's now, it's now been downgraded to like a, a, a storm. So it's not even that exciting anymore. It's, it's a bit boring, isn't it? It's, um, we can't even get the good cyclones here anymore, which I guess is a good thing. Shouldn't be complaining. No, we want destruction. Come on, cyclones, destroy New Zealand. Um, <laughs> I don't, I'm just scrolling through some news here to find some other things. Uh, we talked about the Olympics a few weeks ago, the Paralympics. I can imagine they're even less talked about over there. I mean, I haven't really heard much talked about here in Australia about it. I, I hear that, uh, the esteemed Corey Peters led in Team New Zealand to the, uh, Winter Olympic, uh, Winter Paralympics. He's a favourite of yours, yeah, I'm guessing? Uh, yeah, no, I'd be lying if I said that this was something that I um, knew anything about. I actually know nothing about it, to my shame. So um, I wish them all the best, of course, I, and I hope they uh, they do really well. But, uh, yeah, it's certainly not something that's been been covered strongly uh, here in New Zealand. I can officially tell you all of your athletes at the Paralympics. You have Corey Peters, your flag bearer, who won a silver medal in 2014 at the Sochi uh, Paralympics, alongside Adam Hall and Carl Murphy. That's it. Uh, you have three athletes in the Winter Paralympics. A big, a big contingent we're taking this year. But, yeah, well, um, yeah, 
better than nobody, I suppose. Is is it Commonwealth Games? Actually, and actually, I'll just quickly interrupt myself here by saying he actually won a bronze medal uh, already. Corey Peters. I've just Googled his name, and the first headline that comes up 23 hours ago, at least at the time of recording this, Corey Peters wins bronze on the first day of the Paralympics. So uh, New Zealand on the bronze train again in Pyeongchang. Well, I mean, yeah, that's that's disappointing because it's not even registering on on our news channel. Yeah. So that's that's actually really disappointing that that um that that's a thing and and we're not even finding out about it. But it's, it's just disappointing that I'm not, you know, I don't know about it. So yeah, it's uh yeah. To play at home, a shame. He's, a, he's a sitting downhill skier. So right. uh, I'm assuming he he's obviously wheelchair bound for some reason. Um. You know, I mean, I could probably do the sitting downhill, um, but I mean, you know, they'd probably have to do a medical assessment on me to to make sure that I'm not kind of cheating. That happened. It was the Sydney Olympics. Uh, the Spanish basketball, like the vision impaired basketball team won the gold medal. And basically they tested them after the Olympics and found out none of them were blind. <laughs> so oh my God. They, um, cause they have to wear like, I think like blindfolds or something and there's like a bell in the ball or something like that to kind of help them out. But, uh, yeah, they had to change all these rules and everything because they essentially found out that none of the, uh, Spanish blind basketball team were actually blind and no wonder they won the gold medal. Oh, okay. Well, I, I know there was a story going on about the upcoming Commonwealth Games that one of our, one of our athletes is a um you know transsexual and um is you know was a male has transitioned into a female or was it vice versa i can't remember but anyway like um and the australians were complaining about it um so you might want to follow up on where that story's gotten to because i don't don't know what the end result of that was okay i haven't heard that to be honest we had a story earlier this year about a um a male to female transgender athlete who essentially tried to make it into the Australian Women's Football League um, and they kind of said, well, no, your testosterone level. Like, Basically, they were too male, if that's a politically... Like, they just would have had such an unfair advantage um, and there was a lot of controversy, like, is this the correct thing? Is this the right thing to do? So, you know, I haven't, I haven't heard about that. That'd be an interesting thing. But, uh, I mean, the Commonwealth Games, I mean, you know, I'm here in the Gold Coast, uh, you know, less than a month away now. Uh, I mean, is, does New Zealand, are they getting more excited? What's happening in New Zealand? Is, is Eliza McCartney on everything? Do I need to come over there and see her a little bit more? I mean, what's going on? Um, yeah, I did. I saw it briefly on the news the other night. I've seen a few uh, billboards around advertising that it's you know it's going to be on free to air TV and stuff over here. So yeah, I mean that's that's exciting time. I think we're we're a bit funny. Like we don't get excited about it until it's like literally upon us, and then we start to get excited. So yeah, we're 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 a bit slow off the uh, um, on the offtake here. So yeah, I mean I'm sure you know when it all kicks off, we will be right up and and. Uh, watching every moment of it, and hopefully New Zealand does well. Oh, you'll win some medals. I mean, come on to Commonwealth Games. I mean, goodness, you know, it's everyone wins medals at the Commonwealth Games. If you come home without a medal, it's kind of it's it's a different thing. Um, I mean, anything else happening? I mean, this is again really one of these weeks where we're like, hey, there's not a whole lot to talk about. Uh, did you watch the well, Oscars, I just, I, Nick, or have you got something else to uh, talk about? Yeah, I mean, I I didn't watch the Oscars. It's I'd only seen kind of one movie that was up for the Oscars, so it seemed kind of like a pointless a pointless thing for me to get involved in. Um, but uh, I, you know, you know, if you're into watching people have sex with fish monsters, I suppose it was probably quite exciting. But um, yeah, other than that, it's probably not for me. But I have found an interesting story about somebody in Auckland who is um, into eating slightly weird animals. So she likes eating pukekos, which are a bit known to Australians as, as swamp hens. Um, which I'm not. I'm not sure it's a thing that you generally eat. I thought they were. 
probably not the nicest thing. Um, she likes to eat freshly killed, fle- uh, freshly road killed possums. Oh. Uh, which are, you know, they're a pest over here. You guys like them a bit more than we do. But, um, yeah, so th- this weird woman is into eating all sorts of um, bizarre animals. So, yeah, next time you see a swamp hen on the side of the road, um, you, know, you know, scoop it up and take it home for dinner. That sounds like one of those, um, those like, Southern American people who eat possum off the side of the road. Um, and I'm just, I've just Googled New Zealand possum, so they kind of they look the same as ours, like the brush-tailed possum. Uh, I think they are the same thing. They just happen to like over here. They just when they were introduced, they went crazy, and now they've become a pest. And so we've oh, got wow. massive kind of operations in place to get rid of them because they and they love eating our native birds. They absolutely they're, they're their favourite thing. So yeah, they love a good kiwi or whatever. You know, they, yeah. That's kind of so I guess hate. that's why we have the problems with the feral cats over here. But that's interesting because like generally when I talk to like Americans, like you know you've seen an American possum, those things are just viciously ugly looking things. Yeah. Whereas like I try and explain our possums are generally quite cute and we like our possums. But I didn't realise that New Zealand hated our possums. Well, get stuff, New Zealand. They're cute. <laughs> we don't like your... your stuff either. Like Russell Crowe and go away. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was going to say when they eat all of your native animals, but all your native animals are weird things that eat everything else. So, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's fascinating uh, when, you know, certain native animals, they can't really defend. Like, I know that the bilbies, like that random creature that they're always complaining about is getting killed off. And I think it's maybe like the rabbits that are kind of doing that to them. But, um, yeah, it's generally like the cats that kill off our native birds. I don't really think they complain about our native animals killing our native animals because... Uh, that's kind of what they do, right? That's the circle of life. So if the brush tail possum here is killing native birds, that's just like a native animal killing a native animal. That's expected. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, there's lots of animals that we don't like because they're pests. We hate rabbits, of course. I think rabbits are pests everywhere, aren't they? But, um, yeah, uh, the old stoats and things like that, we don't like them either. So, yeah, there's lots of animals we don't like. What, what's the, I mean, the, the beloved kiwi that you and I sort of saw uh, on our touring, uh, you know, are they still kicking around? Any news on them? I don't know. That's a weird question to ask you, but... Yeah, no, I mean, we, we love we love the kiwis over here and put a lot of money into trying to protect them. Poor buggers can't fly, so we've got to do the best we can for them, don't we? And what is it that their chests break really easily or something? Like they're really brittle or something like that? Yeah, I think it's their, like their, their um, you kind of like breast, breastbone is really easily breakable. So, yeah, we, you know, like even if a dog doesn't attack them, if, it, if they get nudged too hard in the chest, they kind of like break and die. So, but then like when we went and saw those ones um, at that little park, that they apparently like, you know, when people go in and, um, you know, and, and go to feed them and stuff, they're like real aggressive and they like attack people's shins and stuff. So they've got to wear like these real high boots because otherwise they get their shins attacked by kiwis. So, they're kind of weird animals all around, really. Kind of sums up New Zealanders, doesn't it? Like, hard to find, don't know where they are, and when you see them, if you touch them enough, they'll break, or they'll try and attack you really aggressively. So, uh, you know, yes. that's just it's a perfect uh, emblem for your country, I feel. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'll go along with that. Um, I think we've kind of done. It's a short segment, unless there's anything groundbreaking that I'm missing here, Nick, at all. Um, no, no. I'll, I'll need to stockpile some stuff so we can talk about it next time, because I always think I should, and, and then I totally forget. Yeah, I expect something good to happen in the next week in New Zealand. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'll try my best. If there's, like, a terrorist attack or anything, just don't think we've done it. Just like, I'm just saying, like, we did kill <laughs> Roger Moore on 007 when we said something similar, <laughs> and within 24 hours he was dead. So, just, like, stop looking at us, Australian Federal Police and New Zealand yeah. Federal Police, whatever your version is. So, um, 
yeah. Uh, until next week, Nick. Hopefully nothing terrible happens, but we'll speak to you next time. Yes, I'll try not to. That part of the week where I press a button and you get this. Flashing back. As I mentioned at the top of the show, a bit of a flashbacky episode today, so we're going to bring you a couple of extra ones today. We're obviously reliving the year that was 2011 with some of the uh, moments from the best of in 2011. We're going to first of all start off with uh, a five-question uh, memory as we uh, spoke to esteemed comedian Danny Boy, of course, Danny from Scotland, very popular comedian on this side of the world, uh, as well as other parts of the world, I should say. And this is the five questions that I put to Danny back in 2011. I'm going to wrap things up quickly now with a set of four questions we like to always end our interviews on with our guests. These are nice, quick and easy and probably the hardest questions you'll ever answer in your entire career, Danny. Uh, okay. So if you're ready, let's get straight into it. Let's All start right. off with what is your favourite type of cheese? Um, oh, manchego. Oh, I haven't heard of that one before. Is oh, that... it's delicious. It's like a Spanish six-month-old matured, um, so strongish cheddar flavour. Oh, it's nice. lovely. All right, we'll Manchego. Have, we'll research that one, definitely. Now, um, I'm not quite sure if you might get this question, because we had an advertising campaign a couple of years ago here in Australia. You might have been here for it. Uh, are you a folder or a scruncher? A what? A folder or a scruncher of your toilet paper. So when you go to do your business, do you fold or do you scrunch? <laughs> well, I certainly don't remember that advert, but yeah. it, does sound, it does sound very Australian. Yes. Um, I hadn't really thought about it. I think a folder. A folder, yes. Intelligent yeah. people fold. Next time you go, you'll pay more attention to that. I, I yeah, I hope you. not. I hope I don't pay more attention <laughs> to it. <laughs> uh, question number three. Are we alone in the universe? Uh, almost certainly not. Uh, yes, good, good. Good to see we're on the same bandwagon. And uh, the final question. Here on uh, The Brink, we've uh, started a campaign a few years ago to try and bring the Olympics to Hobart. Now, we want to try and make it a little bit more of a, an open Olympics where different events can be held. It might not necessarily be Olympic sports at the moment. So if there is any sport currently in the world that's not an Olympic sport that could be included, what would it be and why? Uh, frisbee. Frisbee. <laughs> Gotta love frisbee. Frisbee in Hobart. And do you know what? Um, I just read in the paper that, that Tasmania is five times bigger than Qatar. That's and they've correct. just got the biggest event uh, on the planet. So there's absolutely no reason why... Tasmania shouldn't get the uh, Olympic Games. That's exactly what we're putting and, in and our we'll good book. And we'll have the national frisbee on the beach. Yes, yes, and you can represent Scotland and we'll give you a gold medal no matter what you do. Ah, sounds good to me. Yeah. I'll wear a kilt on the podium. Ah, look, look, you think, oh, we'll hold you to that. Fun times, and hello to Danny, should he somehow listen to this. Uh, also, of course, Fail or No Fail, popular segment. You love it, you know it. This is what happened in 2011 with the best bits. Fail or no fail. That's kind of cute. Uh, now, this is a segment that we've debuted a few times during the show. We've just never really sort of taken it on full steam ahead, but we are now. Essentially, we uh, we have some a few little funny news stories, yep. a bit of a discussion. We decide whether it is a fail or a no-fail. And what have we got today, Ben? Well, Pete, that is a million-dollar question, isn't it, my friend? Uh, well, my first one that I'm going to start off with here, I've been dying to read this one out all week. A man high on bath salts, arrested in bra panties, and accused... Of stabbing a goat. Now, this is in the U.S. state of West Virginia. Peter, what only, are your thoughts? Only in America. Absolutely. Starters. I mean, what, what do you think? What thought weighs on this? Uh, no fail. No fail. Because if you can get high on bath salts, <laughs> that's pretty impressive in well, itself. It really is impressive. It is. I mean, honestly, if you can put that on your resume, then, yeah. you, then all the power to you. I'm on your bandwidth. No fail. Pete, what have you got for me? 
Okay, we have got Texas cops bust cockfighting ring at children's party. Oh. Yes, police busted a cockfighting ring in Texas that was using a children's party as its front. That's always fun. Exactly. Acting on an anonymous tip, uh, deputies from the Liberty Country Sheriff's Office showed up at a property in Dayton, Texas, again only in America, about 65 kilometres northeast of Houston to investigate a report of cockfighting operation. Now, my my question with that is, is where's the harm? Kitties need a bit of entertainment. I'm saying no foul. Well, they do. I mean, they already had a water slide and a picnic table. But where there was no clown. No. That is why they were angry. Exactly. No fail. Sorry. No foul. Now, not a lot has really happened since we last did this. No. Um, they haven't really been updating their fail and no fail page. It's a, it's a bit of a shame. That's a fail in itself. That's a, that's a big <laughs> fat fail. It is a fail. That's a fail. Now, what, do you want to start us off, Ben? I always do. Uh, politicians call for investigation after study finds adult toys may be fun for some but can be bad for others' health. Now, this to me isn't new. How did I know that you were going to read this one? Because it's the first one on the page. Yes, Ben. It's t- t- right there, all right? Yes. It's right there on the page. Look, ben? Okay. It's it's nothing new. We understand. Are, are we on the agreement that it's nothing new? Yeah. They've always been brought under fire for being unhealthy and having all of these different toxins in them, haven't they? Oh, uh, well, I, I wasn't aware of that. I just, you know, I just read in the first part, fun for some. Oh, well... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, mm, let me think about that. I think the whole story is about how they've been brought under fire because some of them do use bad toxins in the materials. <laughs> oh, I just had so an image. Um, let's focus on that and not how they're fun for some. Fail. Why? Uh, Give me a reason. I don't know, because I, I, I would like to be a doctor in that hospital. <laughs> When somebody comes in, I have a burning sensation because I used a toy. Uh, part two, what's the number two story, <laughs> Kelly? Do our opinions really count? They do, because you are on the brink and that's all that matters. Right, uh, first one for both of you. Uh, a crematorium is offering bereaved friends and relatives worldwide the chance to watch funerals of their loved ones online. Now, what do you think of that? Is that a good idea, bad idea, fail, no fail? Discuss! No fail. You think it's a good idea? I do. You do, Sam? I do. I'm saying it's a fail. Why do you think oh. it's a fail, Sam? Oh, ridiculous. It's ridiculous? If you can't bother turning up at the at the church or the chapel or wherever you have it, don't bother at all. Right, there we go. He's put his foot down. I like what? this man. <laughs> yes? No? Well, well, I'm just thinking of, say, people on the other side of the world and, and say they're in hospital. And they can't get to them. All right, moving on. Researchers find 1,400 oh. stains of bacteria lurking in human belly buttons, some of which have never been seen before. Disgust. Go. That's disgusting. This is a fail? That's a fail. That's a fail. Sam. Fail. Useless research. Yes. Useless information. Yes. I should be doing something better their time. Uh, right. A man gets caught on CCTV trying to disable a security camera after breaking into a boatyard to steal a dinghy all to avoid a bit of a walk. And obviously he must have had a real close-up of his face. I think that was the point of that story. So, uh, fail, no fail? Fail. Gotta be a fail. Gotta be a fail. (laughs) All right, then. A grieving sibling was killed by lightning as he scattered his brother's ashes at a remote alpine mountaintop in Italy. (laughs) That, to me, is just bad luck. 
Oh, that's sad. So that's yeah. a no fail. That's a no that's fail. That's a no fail. That's, that's a, the bad luck. That's one. a yeah. fail to yeah. me. Uh, staff at a London aquarium have managed to wean an inherited fish raised on just chocolate bars onto a healthier diet. Fail. Fail? Why is that a fail? Well, if the fish wants to eat chocolate, let the fish let eat the chocolate. Let the fish eat chocolate, Sam? Fail. Fail? <laughs> You're on a fail bandwagon this morning. Yes, I've only given one non-fail. Yes, well, there you go. All right. Uh, racy romance literature encourages unsafe sex and tells women's success is cranking out babies a medical study finds. <laughs> That's uh, possibly something that you two don't want to talk about. Last, Julia. Julia, uh, what do you think about that? I think some things the Prime Minister shouldn't talk about on the radio. You don't like to talk at all on the radio. All right, final one. A man with a rare condition tells of hearing a loud scratchy noise like sandpaper being rubbed on wood when he moved his eyes. Now, that, to me, is something that is just weird. Fail. Fail? Fail. You, you think he's making that up, or...? Oh, I just think he's a bit weird. He's a bit weird? Now I'm, I'm going over to Sam here. I'm worried of his reaction here. He's warming up. I'm going to go with a no-fail. Oh, right, okay, then. Why Why do you think that's a no-fail, Sam? Ah, uh, just because uh, uh, he sounds like a nice bloke, and, you know, he probably really does have wood behind his eyes. <laughs> he's probably been eating wood. <laughs> probably. He's probably a beaver. And, uh, look, I've found another, another one just for you, Sam, because I know you like your sheep. Uh, when is a lamb not a lamb? When it's a geep, obviously, and Follyfoot Farm in New South Wales' central coast can prove it. A mixture between a goat and a sheep... And they've called it, wait for it, a geep. Oh, that's brilliant. You love it? Yeah. It could be a bit like silence. <laughs> silence of the, the lambs. lambs. Mm. Yeah. Always a fun time there as well. Uh, Got to make sure that sometimes the guests are awake when it comes to uh, being on the show. Uh, I believe this uh, features myself, Sam, and uh, my mother. Well, I'm going to give these to a subject, and they've got to basically come up with a, you know, some words themselves. I'll just that's it's not original. We stole it off someone else, but that doesn't matter because it, we think it's funny, and that's all that matters on this program, isn't it? That's right. Why make new things when you can steal old? Things? Ex- exactly, exactly. And I and I know for a fact that both our listeners will be very happy with it. Both our listeners. Yes, both mum's fans. Yeah, I had a couple They're of They're falling flat this morning. I had a couple of people <laughs> message, didn't I? Yeah, absolutely. You, you, I, I don't, what, is there something wrong? Am I just not with it this morning? Because they're giving me the most blankest stare. Everything I say, it's like, what are you saying? Hang on a second. Nah, I'm, I'll, I'll, I, I don't, nah, I'll leave. I'll, I'm leaving this <laughs> studio because it's, it's pathetic. All right, Hobart doesn't have to stand for this. You're waking up on a Friday morning. They want entertainment. Yeah. And I'm the only one that can provide it without you two joining in. So I want you, in the count of three, before we go to this music and before we go to the news, to give me a, a big chime in happy hallelujah and, and be with it this morning, all right? Is that, are you two capable of doing that? I'm capable. You're capable. All right. On the count of three. What, 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 are, what we are we saying? I want you to you say whatever you want. Okay. That it shows that you're with it and you're excited and you're happy. I want you to, to be with it and to prove that anybody can be excited at this time of the morning. Mark Webber will join you because Mark Webber uh, is a man who isn't that excitable, but right now he will be. So on the count of three, yep. you're going to join Mark Webber and be excited. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Come on. Yay. Yes. Yay. Good times there again. 
And uh, we often played some songs that we would come up with on the show, uh, some terrible songs, of course, uh, throughout the years, not just to uh, forget the lyrics, which, of course, you will hear in this episode. Uh, but back in 2011, our esteemed co-founder and person who we love the most, I think, on this show, Joshua Shoebridge, he... Um, was, of course, gallivanting on a little uh, mission uh, due to his religion. And he would send in uh, sporadically some segments that we would play on the show, one of which included him apparently singing a song about my uh, support for a certain AFL team. Sharks because they're blue and grey. Ben, hey, how you doing? Ben, you're the best because you're Ben. I can't say any more than that, but you are. And Elder White is still eating a big pile of food. I got was a dear John in Maitland. Barracks forgot because he gets to see the games in Melbourne, maybe one or three. I know. Two years ago, he's on TV because of it. Elder Shoebridge barracks for the Tigers Cause they win the games and they crash the blues I go for the Knights because they kill the Sharks And many things else you don't know But Ben and I are still the best of friends Cause we got along in grade nine, Ben, you remember that when like I was sitting on the fence during PE and you came up to me and said hi? That was cool. But Ben, you know what? This goes out to you. December. The freak's gonna be back. 
Kevin Rudd too Sadly, Josh has not become a singer since that song, and uh, there's probably a reason behind that. I'm going to bring you a classic interview today, and it's a bit of a long one and a bit of a different one today. This actually technically wasn't for The Brink. This was for one of our sister shows, uh, The Qualifying Lap, of course, formerly The F1 Show. And uh, the reason why we're going to play this one for you today is not only are we a couple of weeks away, of course, from the beginning of the 2018 Formula One season, you know myself and Sam are big F1 fans, we'll be talking a lot about that, of course, in the coming weeks, but uh, this, honestly, from a personal level, is maybe in my top five favourite interviews I've ever done. Uh, he, this person was definitely in my top five people I always want to interview, and I had the absolute pleasure of being able to uh, track him down and sit down on the phone with him for a good half hour to discuss certain things. I do, of course, speak of the legendary Formula One commentator, Mr. Murray Walker, and what an absolute pleasure this was. So uh, I wanted to play this one for you today as kind of a vault interview going back in time to be able to bring you, uh, I guess, one of my personal favourite interviews that uh, still sometimes I actually have to pinch myself to even uh, realise that I actually was lucky enough to uh, interview the man, the legend, that is Murray Walker. So this one goes for a slightly uh, long, it's a half-hour interview, so uh, we hope you do enjoy it. Um, This was done back in 2013. So please sit back, relax and listen to my chat with Murray Walker from five years ago. Murray Walker is one of the true legends of Formula One. He was known as the voice of motor racing for over 50 years where he called some of the most memorable races in history, interviewed all of the legendary drivers and gave us some of the best one-liners who have ever come from the sport. I spoke to Murray about his amazing career and just why he loves Australia so much. Murray, huge pleasure to have you here on the qualifying lap. Thanks, Ben. It's a pleasure to be with you. You're a long way away, but it's great to talk to you because I love Australia. Yes, I know. It's uh, certainly a long uh, distance away, and uh, you do have a bit of a, a love affair with uh, us here in Australia, uh, certainly a place that you've visited over the years. I'm surprised you've never moved here, Murray. Well, Ben, I'm an old man now, and it's a, a big thing to uproot yourself, and all my interests are here. Um, motorsport is what it's all about in Britain, and Europe is very convenient for me to get to, so it's a bit of a pie-in-the-sky wish. I'd, lo- I'd love to be there, but you can't do everything in life. No, that's uh, very true. I mean, you recently celebrated your uh, 90th birthday. A happy belated birthday to you for that one. Uh, a bit you. of coverage, of course, on uh, channels such as the BBC and a, a lot of celebratory coverage there. It's, it's still amazing to kind of have all this interest still in, in yourself and, and your career, given that you've technically been retired now for over a decade. It's quite incredible to me, Ben, um, uh, and I remember... When I first went to Australia in 85, I think I've been 30 times since then, uh, how delighted I was when I I flew across Europe and I flew across India and I flew across uh, Singapore and all these other places and I landed in Australia and it was just like being at home. (laughs) (laughs) That was a long time ago. Yeah, I'm amazed that um, people are still interested in what I'm doing because it's 2001 since I stopped doing any commentary on the Grand Prix, but I've been doing quite a lot of things subsequently. I write a column for a monthly magazine. I do quite a lot of stuff for the BBC, and uh, I'm, I'm keeping my eye in on motorsport in general. 
Mm, well, you've uh, done some other stuff out here in Australia since you uh, retired from Formula One. Uh, you came out and did uh, the 2006 Australian Grand Prix, of course, on uh, Channel 10, and uh, you've done some coverage uh, work with the V8 supercars. I suppose it's, it's it's a case of having any excuse, really, to come out here to Australia to enjoy us down here. Well, I would love to do that. I've done a cruise all the way round, landed in, uh, I flew to Darwin, and then went all the way round and back to Singapore, and we called in at... Um, the Gold Coast, obviously, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth. And I've been lucky enough to spend time in all your major cities except Canberra. And i tell you what I have done, Ben. I've done the trip on the GAM, that fabulous train, which goes all the way from Darwin down to Adelaide. And that right. was an incredible experience. Wow, that's something I've never even done, Murray. I could imagine that would be very eye-opening to kind of see everything along that train trip. Yeah, I, 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 I think I may, Ben. I may have seen more of Australia than a lot of Australians have. <laughs> I definitely uh, would say you have one uh, such memory that I think would be great. Uh, obviously, myself being in, in Tasmania, you did target Tasmania in uh, 2003 yeah. uh, with Colin Bond there and finished That's second right. in uh, your category. Now, I, I've read your book. Uh, I believe this was a, a long-time dream of yours to, to do that race. I mean, how much, uh, how much of a great thing was that to do and what memories do you have of Tasmania? Tasmania. Well, we started in Launceston, and as you say, I was with Colin Bond, who is Mr. Motorsport in Australia, and a wonderful, wonderful chap, lovely wife, and I sat beside him in the Toyota Camry that we were competing in, and we did virtually the whole of Australia, uh, whole of Tasmania, pardon me, except I think the south, the southwest corner is a bit difficult for some reason, Ben, isn't yes. there? Forest or something very, very there thick forest, bit. yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, well, we didn't do that bit, but we ended up in Hobart, so I saw an awful lot of it. And what an absolutely fabulous island it is! Hmm. Yeah, it's a, quite fond of it myself, obviously, Murray. It's it's a great event, obviously, that we uh, have here with that, and um, it, it's it's great when we get figures such as yourself to uh, to come out here. I remember the late uh, Barry Sheen also used to come down and compete here. I had the pleasure of meeting him when I was uh, quite younger, and, and it's a bit of a festival here in Tasmania. We do love our motorsport. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great great event. I'd love to see it again some other time. And and of course, Mark Webber does a lot down there. I don't know if he's still doing it after the time when he hit a car and broke his leg very badly, but he has this big cycle thing, doesn't he? Yeah, he certainly does. The Mark Webber Challenge, uh, it's actually in about a month or so, I believe. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's great that he, he brings that down here and uh, gets all the people involved here in Hobart. And, of course, we used to have, uh, way back in the day, uh, the, the Grand Prix Festival at Longford as well. So uh, we've got a big history here in Tasmania for motorsport. Great. Now, at uh, the time of this interview as well, Murray, uh, Sebastian Vettel claimed his uh, fourth consecutive world championship. Now, h how do you rate Vettel uh, among the all-time greats, uh, obviously at a very early stage in his career still? Well, he's right up there, Ben. There's, there's a lot of controversy and dissension about Sebastian Vettel because he has only ever driven in Formula One, apart from one appearance for BMW, for the Red Bull team. And a lot of people over here, I don't know what they're saying in Australia, say that he's only world champion four times because he's been in the best car. Well, obviously he is in the best car, and obviously you can't do well in Grand Prix racing in Formula One if you're not in a car that will win. Hmm. But having said that, Sebastian Vettel has got the best out of that car, and he's proved that he can win from pole position, he can win from further back on the grid, he can win in the wet, he can win in the dry, he can win when he's having to come through and pass people. 
He is a quite outstanding driver, and I like him immensely. He's got a great sense of humor. He's got a very nice personality. He works tremendously hard, and he richly deserves all his success, in my opinion. And yes, he is... I mean, if, to win one world championship, then, is an incredible achievement. To win two or three is mega incredible. To win four on the trot, as he has done, has only been done in the history of Formula One by two other people, and they're two of the greatest of all time, Schumacher and Fangio, and he's right up there with him, and he's still only 26 years old. He's got a lot of time to go. He could break all the records and become the greatest of all time. Mm, it definitely uh, looks like he's on that path. I know here in uh, Australia, a lot of uh, Australian Formula One fans also aren't really the biggest Vettel fans, given his uh, teammate Mark Webber and uh, the things that have happened along the uh, the road there with uh, Sebastian. I mean, we saw that I think with Michael Schumacher too. That kind of for a period of time there, a lot of people were were negative against Michael before eventually I think a lot of people grew to love him. Do you think that's a case with Sebastian that over the years that uh, you know people will grow to love him a little bit more than they do now? Well, I I suspect not. For I mean. Um uh, 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 over over here, a lot of people didn't like Schumacher just because he was German. There's good Germans and there's bad Germans, just as there are good and bad on Australia, good and bad Australians, and good and bad British people. Um, and Vettel carries that problem with him as well uh, over here. Um, I, he's not going to change over the years. If people don't like him now, I suppose they won't like him in the future. But um, yeah, you know. It uh, doesn't change my point of view, Ben. I think he's a nice bloke, and I think he's a fantastic driver. Mm, definitely. I also read recently some uh, comments you said in regards to uh, the people booing Sebastian. We've seen that on the podium. One thing that um, I found interesting at the uh, Indian Grand Prix yesterday was uh, his celebrations. It was great to kind of see the burnouts getting involved with the crowd, which then he's obviously been punished for, and Red Bull have been fined for that. Do you think it's a bit silly that they get fined uh, for a bit of excessive celebration? Celebrations. I mean, he's just sort of getting the crowd involved, surely. Well, <clears throat> no, no, I most certainly don't. I understand why it happened, of course, Ben. They, <clears throat> they, uh, the, the FIA insists that the driver go straight to Park Ferme so that there can't be any changes to the car on the way round, on the run, run down lap that might be to his benefit. Uh, that's understandable, but to apply the rule and fine him for doing something as celebratory as a few donuts, which everybody applauded and admired and was very happy about, seems to me to be a bit over the top. But they would say, well, rules are rules and we have to apply them. If you don't apply them, it becomes chaotic. Having said that, I think it's a great pity they did. Mm, definitely agree with you there. Now, on your uh, commentating career, uh, it started out in motorbikes, of course, before eventually turning to four wheels and uh, Formula One eventually. Did, did you follow much of uh, Formula One before you ended up uh, in the commentary box, or was it always just about the bikes? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I've always been interested in all kinds of motorsport. My father was a professional racing motorcyclist before the war, and he won the TT and all the big continental races, and he would have been world champion in, I think, 1928 if they'd had the same, if they'd had a championship to the same rules as now. So I grew up in a motorsport atmosphere and was certainly passionately interested in four-wheel racing as well as bikes. And for instance, I was at Donington in 1937 and 1938 
when my all-time hero, Tatsio Nuvolari, won the Donington Grand Prix in the Auto Union, and when that great legendary driver, Bernd Rosemeyer, won the 1938 Donington Grand Prix in an Auto Union. Uh, my first broadcast <clears throat> for the BBC was the British Grand Prix in 1949, and that was the year before Formula One began. Uh, so I'm, I'm very much in touch with Formula One, and always have been, and before motor racing was Formula One. Could you have ever imagined the the global spread that the sport has obviously gone on today? I mean, back when it started uh, in the in the nineteen fifties. I mean, it's gone on, you know, obviously a huge development period. But I mean, was it something that you could always see the entire world falling in love with it the way it has? I no, well, I don't, I, I don't think so. It's not something you consciously think about uh, at the time. I mean, in the nineteen. 19- in the 1950s, we were just glad that the war was over and we got motorsport back again. And Formula One started off as just a few events in Europe. And as you rightly point out, it's become a global event, largely thanks to Bernie Ecclestone, Bernie Ecclestone hmm. I should say. Um, I don't think we ever envisaged at that time, back in the 1950s, that it would become the global sport that it has. But it's massive now, of course. Yeah, exactly. Uh, easily one of the uh, most viewed sports in the world. I- is there much of a difference when it comes to commentary style from two wheels to four wheels? They're mechanical objects, Ben, going round and round in circles <laughs> at high speeds with the dri- with the drivers and riders trying to beat each other. The commentary um, style doesn't change for bikes and cars, or at least it didn't for me. Uh, you you tend to have a different commentary style for radio and television because. With radio, obviously, the people you're talking to can't see what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And with television, they can. And you, theoretically, with television, talk less than you do with radio for that reason. But I was always so passionate, and I'd always got the adrenaline pouring out of me by the bucketful, and I was so enthusiastic that I'm afraid I hardly ever drew breath irrespective of whether I was talking on the radio or on television. <laughs> With uh, the sport during the 1970s and uh, early 80s, uh, when you commentating it more full-time, uh, obviously saw a big transition in safety measures uh, along the way to help prevent a lot of serious injuries and fatalities that occurred pretty much all the time in the sport. Uh, as, as a commentator, how hard was it for you to have to, to talk through an accident in an era when most of the time a serious accident would usually result in something quite tragic well <clears throat> obviously very very difficult indeed i've had the misfortune to have been commentating on races live when four people were killed on separate occasions um the worst of which was Ayrton senna of course when mm-hmm. he was killed at the san marino grand prix and i had seen three other drivers crash at the same corner on previous years different years uh gerhard berger had crashed in the ferrari and he'd He was not only unconscious in the car, but it was on fire. And I had seen Michele Alboreto and I had seen Nelson Piquet all crash at the same place and and get away with it with minimal injuries. I managed to get Gerhard Berger out of the car before he was hurt. Um, So when when Senna crashed, my immediate reaction was, gosh, that's a big one. But then I very quickly realized that it, it was far worse than that. But the problem, Ben, was that you have a television picture in front of you. You are in the, tele- in the commentary box. Uh, nobody is giving you any information because they probably haven't got any, and so you certainly haven't. Hmm. 
And you cannot, on the one hand, say, oh, my God, this is terrible, I fear it's terminal, for obvious reasons. Uh, nor, on the other hand, can you say, don't worry, folks, I've seen three other people crash here in identical circumstances, and they were all perfectly all right, I'm sure he will be. And you have to somehow walk the invisible line between those two extremes. And in my case... I was getting some pretty unpleasant pictures pumped into uh, my monitor from Italian television, but we were fortunate with the BBC in that for the first time ever we had our own camera unit there and we were able to cut away and show pit lane stuff. Hmm. But the answer to your question, and I've been very long-winded about it, I know, is that uh, it is extremely difficult, but that's where experience and knowledge hopefully carry you through. What about the aftermath of uh, the whole Senna incident? And I, we've seen footage, I, I believe it's on YouTube, of where you were crossed live to uh, on the news on BBC to sort of talk a little bit more about it. I, is that a, a very difficult period kind of after the race and then having to talk more about it on the news that night? And is it just a case if you want to go back to the hotel and just kind of forget it all happened? Well, it, it is difficult, Ben, but um, to be pragmatic about it, it's... It's um, no more difficult than someone having to talk about the death of, of some other personality that's been involved in a fatality for nothing to do with motorsport. Um, having, to, having to talk about someone as famous and as much liked as Senna was in the past when it's happened just an hour or so before is not easy, but that's, that's what you're there for. That's your job. Mm, yeah, and I mean, technology advancements over the years since uh, the centre accident and the safety involved in the sport increased a great deal uh, over the years. I mean, what are, what are some of the, the biggest uh, technological advances in Formula One that you have enjoyed over the years? And what to you is, the say, the single biggest technological well, advance? Well, if people say to me, what has changed most in Formula One since you started talking about it when it began in 1950, I always say safety thanks to three people in particular, uh, Bernie Ecclestone, Max Mosley, and Professor Sid Watkins, who transformed the whole situation. And when I began in the 1950s, car, race, Formula One cars were lethal instruments. There were, uh, there were no, no protection for the drivers at all. The drivers wore linen trousers, T-shirts, um, a linen helmet. They didn't have a crash helmet. They didn't have safety belts. The... Cars didn't have any gas protection built into them. They had petrol tanks all around them and behind them. Uh, there were no runoff areas. The medical facilities were minimal. Uh, in many cases, there weren't crash barriers, and the crowd was lining the roads. So it was incredibly, incredibly dangerous. And it was par for the course for four or five and sometimes more people to be killed every season. And the attitude in those days was... Uh, the throttle works both ways, and if you can't take the heat, keep out of the kitchen. Hmm. Because the attitudes to death in those days, just so, so soon after the war, were very different to what they are now. But as a result of all these major moves, it's infinitely safer now. The cars have carbon fiber tubs, the drivers have safety belts, they have three layer protection overalls against fire, they have crash helmets, they have runoff areas, they have marvellous medical facilities, there's always a helicopter standing by to take them if there are problems, 
And when you think back over the recent past, Robert Kubica's uh, crash in the BMW, uh, Felipe Massa getting a spring from Ruben Barrichello's brawn in his face at about 160 miles an hour, and uh, they've lived to tell the tale with no uh, real damage subsequently. Uh, it, it is quite incredible, and thank heavens, uh, motorsport is infinitely safer now. It's, it will never be completely safe, and um, there are those who think it never should be completely safe because the element of danger should always exist. Hmm. Um, but it is so much safer now that it's hardly recognisable. Do you, do you think with the amount of safety that is involved in the sport now that it makes drivers take more or less risks? Uh, I think they undoubtedly, there's not a shadow of doubt about it in my mind, that they take more risks because they know they can get away with them or they know they're almost certain to get away with them. I mean, I have talked many times to Sterling Moss about this and he said in his day and in Jackie Stewart's day, uh, you would never dream of taking the liberties and banging wheels that they do nowadays because you would know that at best it would be uh, a result in a serious injury and at worst it would be terminal. Hmm. Uh, but that doesn't exist now. The drivers know subconsciously that they're infinitely safer than they were as a result of which they take much greater risks. Not a, no doubt about that at all. And do you feel that makes for better and closer racing? Not, not necessarily, Ben. No, I don't think so. I mean, the racing is a lot closer now than it used to be uh, because the cars are so much more reliable and because the performance of the cars is so much closer. I mean, if you think about it, the difference now between the pole position time of somebody in a Grand Prix, typically Sebastian Vettel, and the chap who's last on the grid perhaps Max Chilton in the Marussia, mm -hmm. is about four seconds. And that's four seconds over a roughly two-and-a-half-mile lap, which takes roughly one-and-a-half minutes to do. It, it's virtually nothing. So the performance of the cars is so much closer now. It's, uh, the racing is a lot more... I think a lot more interesting, but not necessarily more exciting. What are your thoughts on things like curves and, and DRS? Do you think it makes artificial overtaking, or are you a fan of it? Yes, it does make artificial racing, but um, if, you, if, you, <clears throat> if you had the cars with petrol tanks that would last the whole, with fuel that would last the whole race, and tyres that would last the whole race, you do get very dull racing. You can get very dull racing because that's what we've had in the past, and I've had to commentate on it, uh, and it's pretty dreary. And I really welcomed uh, refueling because it was something that broke up the race, and it was something interesting and exciting to talk about. And for the same reason, I uh, think I, I very much applaud the fact that Pirelli have to supply now tyres with two different characteristics and that the cars have to make a tyre stop at least once during the race. Uh, it, it spices it up. Yes, it's artificial. But if you had it absolutely natural, as I've said, there is always a danger that it's going to be a lot lot less interesting. How did you find those... That's a very controversial point of view, but that's mine. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a, it's a very interesting topic that I love hearing uh, a wide variety of opinions on it. H how did you find those boring races, let's say, and uh, particularly ones that nothing much happened. I mean, what do you do 
in those uh, those long periods where you're having to find lots of different things to talk about when nothing much is happening on the well, track? You've used, used, you've used a word then I wouldn't use, uh, about Formula One, and that's boring. <laughs> uh, there is no such thing, in my opinion, as a boring Formula One race. There are processional ones, yes, uh, but there is always something interesting and usually something exciting to talk about if you know where to look. And nowadays, television commentators, with all the commentating aids that they have got in terms of screens which show them exactly where all the cars are and readouts about the sector times and captions on the screen, uh, there, are, there are a multitude of things that you can be talking about. And you can always, the producers are very much onto this now, and there have been races in the recent past where you saw very little of Vettel because he was out in front all the time. So they're looking for something interesting, exciting to show, and they can find it. Now, we're talking about technology in Formula One. Technology in the commentary box obviously advanced a great deal over the years during your time in the, uh, in the sport. What were the biggest changes that you um, had that helped your job, and were there some that really actually made your job harder along the way? Well, there was nothing in the technology that I can remember that made my job harder. I mean, when I started, God, I'm sounding like Methuselah, aren't I? But when I started, I had to do all my own timekeeping with a clockwork stopwatch. Uh, start it when the cars go by, stop it when the cars come back again while you're talking. And the, the, the lap scoring used to be done by a chap standing beside me, writing numbers down on a piece of paper while they went past which inevitably can lead to mistakes and problems. Uh, nowadays, all that is done electronically for you. You get an enormous amount of information pumped into the commentary box through two or three different monitors that you can look at and through your earphones, because while you are co commentating them, there is a producer who is talking to you a lot of the time, and it's often quite difficult to listen to a producer talking to you about what he wants to do and what he wants you to look out for while you are talking about something else to millions of people all over the world. Mm, yeah, I can uh, definitely imagine. Uh, I mean, one, obviously your relationship with James Hunt uh, is very well known uh, during that time in the commentary box uh, and recently the, the movie Rush, which has uh, come out and doing great things around the world. Uh, have you managed to see it yet, Murray? Um, has it brought back a lot no, of memories? I'm about the only person in Britain who hasn't seen it, I think, Ben. Ah. Uh, uh, it, it, I, I, all the people I know have seen it in motorsport have been enormously impressed with it. An awful lot of films like that take liberties with factuality, uh, but Rush doesn't. Uh, Ron Howard, who was the producer, went to an enormous amount of trouble to make sure that all the racing stuff was as accurate as it could be. They've taken a um, liberty with the fact that uh, in the film, Nicky Lauda and James Hunt are enemies, didn't like each other. In fact, they were great personal friends and liked each other very much to the extent of, at one point in their lives, sharing an apartment together. But uh, Ron Howard has gone on record as saying, look, uh, this film about Formula One has got to appeal to a couple of elderly women, old-age pensioners sitting in a cinema in the rain in Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> and he said they know nothing about Formula One, they don't care anything about Formula One, 
and it's my job to entertain them and inform them about Formula One, and I think he's done a brilliant job. Mm, it's it's a very good film. I'm sure you've heard a lot of people say that, Murray, um, and I think it's certainly opening up a lot of uh, people's eyes to uh, to the enigma, I like using that word, that was James Hunt, and uh, obviously you had a very close relationship with the man. Yeah, I did for, I mean, quite apart from the time when I was new in when he was uh, racing, I had him in the commentary box with me as my pundit, to use a word I hate, for 13 years, at least 16 times a year for four days at a time. And if you multiply 13 by 16 by 4, you've got a very big number. <laughs> Indeed. Well, actually, one of our listeners sent in a question uh, sort of related to uh, well, James Hunt and co-commentators. Mitchell Betts um, wanted to know, does it make things easier or harder having a co-commentator in the box, and uh, particularly an ex-driver in James and also later on Martin Brundle? Well, uh, when, when I was told that I was going to have... James Hunt in the box with me. I was not at all happy because I had been doing it myself for two years and my uh, belief at the time, quite incorrectly as it happens, was that this was the thin end of the wedge and I was going to be kicked out next year and James Hunt was going to be taking my job over. So I wasn't too pleased about it. But as time went on, uh, I realized that it made an awful lot of sense to have two people, particularly if one of them has been there and done that as James Hunt and Martin Brundle, for instance, have both done, uh, because you have one commentator then whose job it is to tell the story of the race, and you've got another expert whose job it is to tell you the nuances of what is going on that is technical or tactical, that someone who hasn't done it, like me, wouldn't necessarily know. And if you can work together, and actually James and I did work together very well, and Martin Brundle and I worked together extremely well because we got on very well with each other and we had our respective strengths and weaknesses, uh, that is an ideal situation. It's much better than having just one person droning on all the time. What um, did you think, well, how did you think uh, Martin went as sort of the, the lead commentator uh, when he was with uh, DC during the, uh, the BBC period? Well, I, I mean, this, this is not just me saying it. Uh, Martin has said that he, in his opinion, wasn't as good a commentator as he, as he is a pundit and presenter, uh, and I wouldn't argue with that. Having said that, that, that it by no means suggests from me that I thought that Martin was inadequate. I thought he did a very good very good job indeed. Mm, definitely, and with the state of Formula 1 coverage at the moment, uh, we're seeing a lot of pay-per-view services out there. Sky Sports F1, obviously, in, in the UK is a very big channel and uh, very popular. Do you like the way that this is sort of heading with people paying to watch the sport, or would you prefer to remain on free-to-air? Uh, it's essential that Formula 1 stays on free-to-air, Ben, because Formula 1 depends on money and vast quantities of it. The money comes from sponsors and sponsors want exposure on the box and you get, certainly in this country, you get the majority of, of your exposure by being on a free-to-channel um, provider. That's the BBC or ITV. Sky TV cover Formula One absolutely brilliantly. They do a magnificent job. But their audience is uh, minuscule compared with the BBC's. Uh, and for that reason, uh, so that the, m m as many people as possible can see what is a great sport, 
I feel that it's absolutely essential that it should always stay free to air. Mm, definitely agree with you there. Speaking about the global spread uh, of the sport uh, and the travel that obviously gets involved with that, how hard did you find it to adapt to those long periods away from uh, home, say the wife and everything along those lines? And did you ever get used to it over the years? Very, very hard indeed. And, and I do not have children, uh, Ben, so it must have been a lot easier for me. Uh, but nowadays the Formula One season starts in March and ends in November and there are more long-haul races than short-haul races and the majority of the well the teams come from Europe so they're involved with an enormous amount of extremely stressful traveling with all the jet lag and time changes that are involved and it's very very demanding physically and mentally and then they've got on top of that enormously stressful and demanding jobs hmm. so the burnout can be considerable uh, i don't i don't know what the answer to it is because bernie ecclestone is uh, set on having as many long haul races as he can because he wants to make it a worldwide sport for instance he's going to russia next year uh, and thank heavens it is now in america and there are other countries that are forming up who want it uh, and it's prob quite probable that teams in future will have to have two sets of personnel uh, so that they can rotate all the events and keep the travel stress down to the absolute minimum. Mm, definitely uh, going around the world there, uh, a great more deal. Just a couple more and we'll wrap it up here, Murray. Now, uh, Murrayisms, obviously very much known around the world. We've all got our favourite Murrayisms. Do you have a favourite Murrayism at all, Murray? And do you have a Murrayism that you just want to forget? Uh, the car in front is absolutely unique, except for the one behind it, which is identical. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with the car except it's on fire. <laughs> Oh, they're classics, and uh, we've played a few of them across the years on the show. Uh, another listed question, actually, that we got to uh, Michelle Terminello, uh on Twitter wants to know, do you miss having Adelaide on the F1 calendar, and would you love to see it back instead of Melbourne? Oh, dear. Well, I'm, I'm staring up a hornet's nest if I start uh, talking about that. We loved being in Adelaide. Uh, when I say we, I mean Formula One in general. We were there from, what, 85 until 96. And I think Adelaide is a beautiful city with lovely people and the, an excellent circuit, a magnificent spirit of enthusiasm supporting the race, and the organization and administration were always immaculate, laid back and friendly. We loved going to Adelaide. Uh, I'm sure people like going to Melbourne just as much. The Albert Park circuit is terrific. There is the same sort of spirit there. Uh, if I was driven to the wall, then and um, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to be able to get to Australia this year. Maybe, maybe it's just, maybe it's just as well. But if I was dr driven to the wall, I would say I would marginally prefer to be in in Adelaide. But that is no reflection on Melbourne or Melbournians or the course or the climate or anything. It's mm -hmm. just a marginal personal preference, which I think actually would be shared by most people in Formula One. I definitely think the old historians would uh, agree with you there. Also, Murray, too, we know you've had some health battles this year with your hip and uh, the cancer diagnosis. Just an update. Is uh, everything going along uh, smoothly? How's the health at the moment? Oh, yeah, thanks very much. I fell over and broke my pelvis and... I was on crutches for 16 weeks, and that's uh, knitted together. It's almost right now. And I was diagnosed with lymphoma, which is a kind of blood cancer. 
but I've managed to avoid the chemotherapy because my condition has improved so much. I've had a couple of checks since then, and it's still okay. And they say it could go on like that for the rest of my life, so I'm just keeping my fingers crossed, Ben, and hoping that that is the case. Mm, definitely, fingers crossed, and uh, all our well wishes on this side of the world, mate, and hopefully that uh, all goes uh, well there. Now, the final question I'll ask you today, it's a listener question, Leon Antic, and thanks to everybody who did send in some questions today for Murray. He says, this is a question, Murray, no doubt you get asked all the time, but uh, who to you is the greatest Formula One driver of all time? Yeah, well, I do get asked all the time. Uh, and my answer is always the same, Ben. You can't really compare objectively drivers from one generation with drivers from another because they were driving different cars on different circuits, two different regulations in different circumstances. And there is no common yardstick you can measure them against. Uh, I mean, was Jackie Stewart better than Senna? Was... Uh, Jim Clark, better than Prost. You can argue until you're blue in the face, but you can't prove anything. All you can do is give a subjective point of view. And my subjective answer is that Juan Manuel Fangio, the great Argentinian who was world champion five times, and not only world champion five times, but was world champion for four different constructors. And Michael Schumacher didn't do that, and Sebastian Vettel hasn't done that. And Alain Prost didn't do that, nor did any of the other greats. Uh, in my opinion, Fangio is the greatest of them all. Mm. But you can argue about it until you're blue in the face. And because very high up in my list is Sterling Moss, and he never won the World Championship. But mm. that's a reflection, in my opinion on the World Championship, and certainly not on Sterling Moss. Mm, indeed. It uh, certainly is one of those topics, Murray, that everybody will always uh, debate over beers and everything else along the uh, years, and uh, it is certainly one that uh, fans of F1 do like to talk about. Murray, absolute honour having you here on the program. People listening to this, of course, can read Murray's uh, monthly column in F1 Racing every month. Uh, Murray's autobiography, of course, always available in leading bookstores. If you haven't read that in some time, I highly recommend it. It is a great read. And, uh, Murray, again, a massive pleasure having you here on the show mate best of luck with everything for the future and uh, hope to see you here in Australia uh, once again sometime in the future thank you Ben and God bless Australia time to pump this up with some forget the lyrics right now and I've even spoiled it I haven't even played the introduction so I better do that right now it's that time of the week to play everybody's favourite game show it's forget the lyrics here on the Brink on Edge radio over to the studio just in case you thought I was lying and was going to play something else yes this is forget the lyrics and uh, are we not excited for this I am very excited for this so excited for this we're actually going to be playing five Five, not one, not two, not three, not four, but five. Forget the lyrics for you today. And a lot of these coming from the year 2012, but uh, I'm sure you're still going to enjoy them. Let's start off with 2012. Everyone knows that year from music when it comes to a certain song by a certain Korean one-hit wonder, at least on this side of the world. The song was Gangnam Style. It was by Sight. This is me singing along to that. Let's bring it. Still the same subject? <laughs> We've got a bit of feel. Right, Dane, Swan, working with Buddy at the MCG. Yo, kicking the ball in the goal, making out in the back court. Yo, not a court, it's a football field. Riding that horse, making sure that we get a goal. Making Buddy and Dane working on that pole. They dancing, they dancing, 
They're dancing round the pole, yeah. The cheer squads are dancing with them right now. They scream, Buddy, Dane, make out for us. This game is boring, but we want to see some action. Gay marriage is happening in Tasmania, so you can go down there and secure your love, yeah. Buddy, Dane are in love. Yeah! Buddy Dane love. Buddy. Buddy and Dane love now. But. Nah. Nah. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah, I will say, just kind of as a side note, I kind of actually only really heard the song for the first time uh, that morning. Hence why my knowledge of the song wasn't exactly uh, great. I'm sure I could do a lot of a, a bit of a different job on that if I was to do that one today. Uh, speaking of 2012, Sam and myself, uh, a song that was around for a little bit longer. At that point, uh, Gangster's Paradise, Sam and I got a bit excited with this one. As he walks out to bat, he goes on the mat, he goes up into a big cat. Ricky, you make me so picky, and I love your last name, is Ponting. You made me rhyme with Ronting, Dana Bell Reeve. I went into some reeds, flashed some reeds, and and Ricky, Ricky, man, I've got to find some new rhyming words. There was some turds, and Michael Clark went down with his dog, attended to bark. Saw Mick Malthouse running down the goat house. Went, Ricky, Ricky, you've got a loaf, <laughs> a loaf of bread. Over to you, Ben. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Ricky's retiring. He's retiring in a cricketer's paradise. He walks to the crease with his bat. He faces a ball and does a scat. Yo, he makes sure he hits a six and looks over at Steve Waugh and say, yep, yeah. He makes sure that he makes lots of runs. He turns around and does Gangnam Style. He goes whoopa, 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 Gangnam Style. Makes sure that he eats lots of piles, yo. Makes sure he looks to his wife and kicks out a ball. Because he's playing footy now, Mick Malthouse, apparently, Sam said. He's walking down the shop and going to buy a shed. Why is Ricky so blind to see that he could have retired? One more match. At Belle Reve, in front of the sea. He's been spending most his life hitting lots of sixes for his wife. Now Ricky's going around, gonna quit the sport and make a pound. Could have gone to Britain one time to win the Ashes for Australia. Sam, do you wanna, do you wanna take it home? I think you need to recover yourself. Come on, I'm giving you an extra verse here, my friend. Ricky, I love you. You know I love you. You got your cricket pads on, and they were so shone. <laughs> oh, this is really hard, this song. Yeah, yeah, Ricky, you know I got... Yeah, so, you went to India, and got in the Bindia. And, Ricky, Ricky, you know I love you. I've got my man love on for you. Yes, Ricky. I love your glasses, your little glasses. I know you don't wear glasses, but... You know, you got the pass. You got the ticket in the game. 
It's not a shame, Ricky, but I don't think you should have retired this weekend. You should have been war and gone out to war. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Always good to have those ones. Uh, another duet, Dakota and myself, 2014, to the Daft Punk Pharrell hit, Get Lucky. Get to background. <laughs> I need a helmet. No. Went on to Facebook. Uh, I read all the statuses. Yeah, they were quite stupid. That's right. They talked about things such as went to the shop, bought a piece of chocolate, which is stupid. What's the score in the footy? Don't be lazy. Look it up. I log on on to the Facebook. It's really good on the Facebook. I hate those stupid updates. The stupid updates on Facebook. They are so stupid and dumb. You stupid idiots make some fun of things like Asha Kitty. She is so dumb and stupid. She is so dumb and stupid. She is so dumb and stupid. I want you to Asha Kitty bashing again. Go Dakota. Okay. I logged on to Facebook. The first thing I saw. What is the time? How about you look at the clock? Ah, uh, no one cares that you're sick of your friends. And if you have no friends, what's the point of the status? I don't care about yourself. No one cares you're shopping. No one cares what you had for dinner tonight. No one cares that you're watching a really stupid movie. No one cares that you're going to the hospital. No one cares what the time is. No one cares about the footy. No one cares about you because you need to get alive. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Do we keep going or? Um... Let's stop. You want to stop? Yeah. You're over it? I am over it. I'm over I'm over Facebook statuses. That's what I'm over. Yeah. Facebook yeah. statuses. Yeah. You're getting luckier even more so as we bring you another big hit here. Josh and myself from 2012 giving you some Ghostbusters. Oh. There's actually like an evil laugh in the background there. Worried. Bring it down. Uh, uh, uh. PC. Riding up on the Bill Gates train. Totally taking those mouses with two buttons and windows. Let's get into it. When you want to use a decent computer, what you gonna use? Windows. Using a mouse with more than one button, what you gonna use? Windows! Oh, yeah! Using that computer! 
computer, computer, I like using decent computers. Uh, yeah, I like easier things to use because I don't like using crap computers. Uh, yeah, I don't know why I'm rapping like this, Josh, but I'm gonna try to keep singing. Bill Gates is still alive. That makes Windows so much better. He doesn't wear stupid turtlenecks. Steve Jobs, learn to dress properly. Uh, Josh, Josh, over to you, over to you. Josh, 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 don't talk about Max because, uh, Josh, I'm handing it, handing it to you to talk about those stupid things made of stupid fruit. Ben, what are you going to do when your computer crashes? I'll tell you now. Go, MacBook Pro. Here's what I've got. And you ain't got nothing. My computer's fast. Yours is a Ford. This machine runs like a boss. Yours runs like a little toss. This computer, it's the best, mate. You're never gonna get the speed I got. USB 2 runs like USB 4. Yours runs like a 4. This computer, this Mac machine, never gonna crash. It's always gonna fly. I tell you, tell you, tell you, this machine is awesome. Tell you, tell you, tell you, this beautiful, this MacBook Pro, running everything like ProLogic, you know, everything. Easy to use, fast to use, you can use it wherever you want. 67 battery life at the moment, charged it yesterday. This machine is the best microphone, satellite technology. What's Windows got? A computer that's got nothing. Oh, let me tell you then, Ben. You hate two mouse, no two mouses. I've got the trackpad. You use gestures. A lot more simpler. A lot more natural. At least you don't need to update every 10 seconds. MacBook is the best. And the winner of the rap battle goes to Mac. This is the brand. Geeks around the world would be proud. And finally, if you thought it couldn't get any better, you were wrong. Uh, 2014, myself and Dakota, once again, Avril Lavigne, girlfriend. Ring, ring, buzz, buzz, it's a fire drill. Oh, yes, oh, yes, I'm out of school now. Oh, yes, oh, yes, don't want to be in maths. It's great, it's great, I don't know what one plus one is. Oh, yes, oh, yes, I did it. Listen to the teacher. Oh, boy, oh, boy, time to go outside now. Love that drill, it is so man, this is awesome. I want to go out on the oval and talk to John. It's really fun to be outside when I'm meant to be at school. I hate maths, it's really, really stupid. Learnt about algebra, don't know what it is. Now I'm on the oval staring at that girl, Jenny. She's got some great legs, better than staring at my teacher. 
Fire drills are the best thing to happen to us because it's about ovals. Yes, yes, drill, drill, going outside now, fire, fire. Oh, crap, there really is one now. The school's burning down quick. Oh, no, I'm scared. Maybe I won't have to go to class after lunch because there's no buildings left to learn in. Oh, yes, oh, yes, going home now to play PlayStation. Go to Kona. Sitting in English is really boring. The fire alarm goes off. I'm like, what the hell? The teacher says it's just a fire drill, 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 drill. We go outside and we're sitting on the front lawn. We're like, hey, can we go inside now? It's pouring with rain. I don't want to be out here, 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 here. The teachers are like, whatever. It's actual, actual fire now. And the school is burning down. Oh, well, oh, well, don't have to go to school now because the school is actually burned down. The fire... Oh. <laughs> I run out of breath, sorry. Um, have you lost it? The school burned down. The school burned down. Yep. You just heard all those, and your day just got a whole lot better. <laughs> Time to wrap up episode 68 of the Brinks podcast today. Thank you to everybody who tuned in, to Nick for joining us, and to all our flashback memories. What a time it has been today. Now, next week, we're hoping to come to you for episode 69, everyone's favourite number, I think, uh, on the regular scheduled time, but things might be slightly altered in the coming weeks. There might be some uh, more delays, or in terms of uh, might it be sooner episodes. I'm not too sure how it's going to work in terms of scheduling, but uh, just stay tuned to our social media pages and we'll still try and strive to get these episodes out to you on a Monday as we often do uh, because things are changing slightly in uh, my personal schedule so that might make these a little bit different but we should also have some exciting content along the way too to be able to bring to you in the coming weeks in the meantime like us on Facebook or on Twitter of course follow us on there YouTube of course as well and remember to subscribe to us uh, via iTunes leave us some comments and some feedbacks we always appreciate hearing what you think of the show along the way until next week my name is Ben this has been the Brent keep sucking those oranges Brisbane and good night <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>